Hi everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, and welcome to another edition of the Needle Drop Podcast, our weekly roundup podcast where we give you the best of our weekly reviews and thoughts from the music world. In this episode, we are going to be throwing at you brand new album reviews of the latest projects from Vince Staples, whose new FM record is a bit of an interesting blend of pop rap and also a radio play of sorts. We also have the latest record from Migos member Takeoff. He splits off from the Atlanta Trap Trio to drop his own solo effort. Also enjoying quite a bit, as you will hear, the brand new Rosalia record. Spain's biggest and most popular flamenco star right now is blending the traditional genre with some brand new sounds from the world of pop that sound pretty great. Also going to be talking about the new, fresh collaboration from Currency and Freddie Gibbs under the name Fetty. The two are rapping, surprisingly enough, over a series of really fresh and well-produced Alchemist Beats. Also going to be pulling off some brand new track reviews for the latest cuts from Earl Sweatshirt, also the posthumous Tentacion song, and I'm going to be talking about the submission for Best Rock Song of the Year by Kanye West of the song uh, Ghost Town Part 2, Free, which is a cut off of the guy's latest record with Kid Cudi. Is it a rock song? And does it deserve best rock song of the year? That is going to be it for this new episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Strap in. Get ready. Here we go. Here are the reviews. And it's time for a review of the new poppy record, Am I a Girl? This is the latest full-length record from multimedia project Poppy. What is Poppy? Poppy is a lot of things. Poppy is a YouTube channel, an internet personality, a singer and a songwriter, a way of life. Most people who are aware of Poppy know her from the hundreds of viral and iconic videos that she's made with director and producer Titanic Sinclair. And now with a few hundred million video views under her belt, her and Titanic have been focusing on the music side of the Poppy brand, signing to Mad Decent Records. Last year's Poppy computer was a huge step toward Poppy defining herself as a serious force in music, more than just some kind of weird, hokey YouTube novelty. The record might have been a little all over the place stylistically and quite Quality-wise, there were also moments on this thing where it seemed like Poppy was drowning in her influences a bit. Though there were multiple songs that I loved on this album that seemed to build up the lore and the story around the Poppy character. Let's Make a Video, and Computer Boy, and Software Upgrade. Songs that featured heavy references to celebrity culture and the internet, cybernetics, and simulations. Which added a lot of character to the album and just made the world of Poppy seem so much more vivid. Thankfully, Am I a Girl was a noticeable improvement on Poppy's last record. And and it doesn't necessarily achieve that by building up the mythos of Poppy. Instead, it just surpasses Poppy Computer by simply being a better synth pop record. Snappier songs, punchier production, weirder lyrics, and a wider array of influences. The opening song to my ears feels almost like something M.I.A. would have rocked over back in the 2000s. But maybe a bit sleeker and a bit cleaner. I like the sassy and girlish lyrics all over the track, the smooth synth bass line, all the shimmery, glitchy synth notes that take up the mix's extra space. Then Poppy immediately drops a few synth-pop cuts that to my ears feel a little run-of-the-mill for the genre. Iconic and fashion after all, even if there are some lyrical bits of these tracks that I do think add to the poppy character, and I guess in a weird way I do kind of like how fashion after all sounds like it's been pulled right out of the Chromeo playbook. However, later on the record there are a few spots where Poppy's lyrics get so brash and weird and unapologetic that I can't help but have a... <laughs> 
<laughs> a strange magnetism to them, like on the track Chic Chick, whose song title is a total eyesore, and I admit that I thought this track was completely ridiculous on first listen, but after a while the proclamations of I'm my own bodyguard. Bow to your matriarch. I found to be both hilarious and endearing. I'm a chic chick if you don't like it, suck my dick. Am I a girl? It's a hilariously braggadocious song that's part self-empowerment but also part power trip. Also, Poppy's vocals on this track and many others hit a weird spot for me where they feel a little awkward, but it's like that's kind of meant to be in the programming, as if she's supposed to be this super sexy fembot or piece of computer code. I don't know. The song Girls in Bikinis, oddly enough, reminded me of something Gwen Stefani might have dropped immediately after splitting off from No Doubt. The flirty absurdity of the lyrics and the vocal melody sound like something that would have killed it on radio in the late 90s or early 2000s. Also, the Boys in Bikinis 2 twist in the lyrics in the last leg of the song was pretty cute. But overall, the tune and the beat of the track, it's just pretty basic and fun and bubbly. Nothing too weighty. It's nice while it's on, but it's it's not really anything that I'm dying to go back to. Really, this album gets better when Poppy's lyrics get a bit more substantive, or the instrumentals go completely insane into a direction I would have never anticipated. The song Time Is Up featuring Diplo does have one of the hardest beats on the entire record, but really what makes it stand out is that it's essentially an environmental banger. A tribute to mankind destroying itself through destroying the planet, with Poppy singing about dead bees and dried up rivers on the hook. Through the lyrics, we also get the sense that Poppy is kind of waking up in the midst of this dystopian future. She's been programmed or wiped and she's confused. She doesn't know where she is or why she's here or why things are the way they are. Then as we get deeper into the track, it's like she's writing from the perspective of a heartless robot who at this point sees no better future for mankind other than for it to just die off. The song Aristocrat instrumentally reminds me of that Ace of Bass song, <laughs> All That She Wants. The story of the song seems to be about this poor kid finding herself in the midst of this upper crust party. She's the hottest thing there by her sheer personality and beauty, and she's kind of undercutting the other rich girls there. The whole thing reads as a metaphor for Poppy's infiltration into the inner circles of fame through her weird YouTube personality. So I enjoy the narrative of the track quite a bit, as well as the cute ukulele transitions into the verse, and then it explodes into a synth pop passage. Meanwhile, the song Hard Feelings sees Poppy reflecting on her own creation. Why was she made? Did this person who made her create her in the image of someone that they once loved. Given the references to committing crimes and being a copy of a copy in the lyrics, one might wonder whether or not this song is in reference to the Mars Argo allegations against Poppy and Titanic Sinclair that have dogged the duo this year. I guess it's also worth noting that this track's synth-pop passages meld really well with the soaring and heavy alternative rock guitars on the hook. And this is not the only point on this album where aggressive rock guitars seem to take over the instrumental side. The title track is a gender-bent banger about male-female stereotypes and assumptions, with poppy-tossing categorizations and suppositions out the window, with some metal-sized guitars that hit pretty hard on the hook. Meanwhile, one of my favorite tracks on this thing, Play Destroy featuring Grimes, <laughs> It sounds like an Evanescence song. Yeah, th this track literally has tons of chugging, 
new metal guitars, Poppy and Grimes transition these heavier spots into these really beautiful glistening synth pop moments that sound like something off of like Grimes' visions. There are like some weird demonic screams held within some of the guitar passages too. I also love how tongue-in-cheek and edgy some bits of this song are, like the, the moment where I believe it's Grimes who says, It's time to die! <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. It's it's so incredibly catchy, but also hilarious and self-aware and creative. The closing track, X, is even heavier. It actually kicks off with Poppy uh, ooing against the heavy metal guitars at the start and going, heavy! It sounds like something out of a baby metal track, but like even more badass, and with a hint of irony to it too. And once again, Poppy transitions out of these incredibly pummeling guitars into some wonderful heavenly sunshine pop before circling back around into these guitars with a sinister refrain of gimme gimme bloody please gimme bloody <laughs> the song eventually hits this like pop punk bit at the very end and it's a genius way to finish the song and the album especially with poppy saying at the end of the record take me to the place where we began allowing you to kind of loop the album back around right at the start overall i thought am i a girl is a pretty great pop album it feels like poppy is getting even better at building some of her own personality into her songs, the story, again, the lore. There are way more creative instrumental left hooks on this new LP too. Though still, I have to say the whole feminine robot trope uh, on this record and in the poppy universe in general is not that refreshing of a concept. And in a way, I'm still kind of waiting for the moment where Poppy's music and her videos coalesce in such a way where they almost feel one in the same, to the point where when I hear a Poppy song, it gives me the same kind of intimate chill that I get out of one of her videos. Though I'm not really sure if that's ever going to happen because it would seem antithetical to Poppy's pop-leaning intentions in her music. If you're looking for a pop record with some zany and off-the-wall lyrics, some interesting topical tracks here and there, as well as some exciting and strange instrumental twists and turns toward the finish, give this thing a shot. I'm feeling a light to decent seven on this transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Vince Staples Project FM. This is the latest record from California rapper Vince Staples, a little 22 minute long project. And I don't know what the hell this is. Is it a mini album? Is it an EP? Is it a playlist? In 2018, we are literally seeing the total breakdown of what it means to release a batch of tracks. And we're seeing albums now that range anywhere between 20 minutes and change to like two hours. It keeps things interesting, for sure. To me, FM is a pretty intriguing pit stop in the midst of Vince Staples' ever-growing discography. Previously, when I've enjoyed Vince's work the most, it's been in short bursts, like on his EPs, such as Prima Donna and Hell Can Wait. In comparison to those projects, I would say FM is actually more consistent, seamless, and conceptual. But given this project is so short, it's likely not going to be as satisfying to longtime fans who prefer the double album experience of Summertime 06, or like the more eccentric song structures and production of Big Fish Theory. And because this 
album sits in a place where it's kind of an album, but not so much an album. I think there are a lot of good things about it that are going to go underappreciated. One, that FM contains some of Vince's catchiest songs so far, and two, that the concept behind this thing is actually pretty cute. Listening to FM is kind of like listening to 22 straight minutes of commercial-free radio programming, with segues between many of the tracks on this record featuring fake DJ breaks and weird little skits that pull it together into a really tight listen. A few of the tracks on this thing don't really hold a lot of water when you isolate them outside of the quick transitions and the consistent production, a lot of which comes from Hagler and Kenny Beats, who place Vince on a lot of these very eerie instrumentals with kind of a West Coast twist and a lot of squishy bass, which definitely plays into the radio theme of FM, because even though in the age of streaming it's odd that a rapper would base a new project around listening to the radio, FM in a way acknowledges the essential role that radio stations have played in building a musical identity for the cities that they were a part of. And given that this project is a radio play of sorts and is supposed to be striking a radio-friendly tone, Vince comes through with some of his catchiest songs in a long time, passing some really infectious choruses on this record off to guys like E-40 and Ty Dolla Sign and J-Rock. And maybe some fans going into this record won't really appreciate the sweeter direction Vince takes things on FM, but I still think he puts his own little weird dark fingerprint on a slightly more commercial sound. Not to mention that he creatively incorporates Kilani and also Tyga into the second half of this record as well, even though anytime Tyga pops up it's guaranteed to be annoying. Lyrically, the subject matter on FM doesn't really change up all that much for Vince. We have personal experiences from the streets of Long Beach, lots of gun talk, gang talk, morbid one-liners, like don't be looking funny when we come up in the store, my black is beautiful, but I'll still shoot at you, dog. So you're talking about a record here with uh, a lot of play, a lot of skits, an interesting theme, a lot of dark lyrics, a very dark kind of sinister tone to some of the songs on here, and also a strong sense of place. And those three things are exactly how I would categorize the opening track on this thing, Feels Like Summer, which is a smooth, laid-back, bouncy opener with a somewhat strange and lo-fi lead synth melody. Vince's flow on this track is on point. It just feels so laid-back. It's so effortless, but it's sticky. And the track really sets a tone for the somewhat grim and blissed out, but also thoughtful vibe that this record puts forward. We have the song Outside Next, which is much nastier by comparison. I love these strange plucky melody lines placed throughout the instrumental, but even more attention grabbing than that is the monstrous bass on this track. This instrumental is the reason they put sound systems in low riders in California. Meanwhile, Vince's cynical and yelpy delivery and gang-affiliated lyrics add a very dark tension to the track. The song Don't Get Chipped is easily one of the best tracks on this thing, not just, again, because of a great instrumental with these weird, somewhat glitchy, detuned synthesizers, but also J-Rock's really gruff and soulful singing on the chorus. And the flow he brings on this track, everybody say it's lonely at the top. I want my homies at the top, my little homie, he got shot. Like, it's it's flows like that, and it's lyricism like that, that whenever I hear Vince Staples, I just can't help but think, this dude is such a disciple of, of Snoop Dogg. He doesn't sound exactly like Snoop Dogg, but you do have creative parallels and overlap there in terms of the somewhat high-pitched, nasally voice, the very deadly lyricism, and just how unbearably catchy the flows and the delivery is that he brings to the table. The next track, though, on this thing just made me go, damn! 
when I first heard Vince's flow over this beat with this weird drawled out chorus, Fed chirp on the Skinner. Easily one of the hardest sounding things on FM period. If you dive into the lyrics on this thing, obviously on a surface level, it's not that deep. You have Vince addressing some gangsta shit and some titties. But honestly, I would take this any day over a whole host of generic dime a dozen sound clout chasers with no personality, no sound, no longevity. I mean, a lot of that stuff is pretty good, but I don't think there's really any arguing that Vince doesn't stand out in the current field because of creative tracks like this. Run the Bands and No Bleeding are also pretty catchy, if not a little too short or just repetitive on the chorus side of things. The song Fun with E40 is certainly a highlight for me on here. I like how sinister and threatening the song feels and sounds, but yet simultaneously the message of the song is that they don't want to fuck up anything, they don't want to do anything awful, they just want to have fun. I'm also kind of perplexed by the weird jingle bell samples placed throughout the beat. Kind of unexpected, but it does somehow fit into the track and gives the instrumental a lot of character. Meanwhile, the closing track with Kehlani Tweakin is one of the most forlorn on the entire record, essentially about seeing your friends pass away at an early age and feeling the depressive effects of that. It's a little odd as a closer because it is the darkest moment on this entire record and also how exactly do you end an album like this? With regular commercial radio programming, there's no resolution or ending. It just kind of keeps going on and on and on and on forever. But still, I can't help but feel like based on what Vince has delivered so far on this record that he couldn't have gone farther with it, either by bringing on more guests to do more creative little interstitial moments like Earl Sweatshirt on here, which I liked quite a bit, or maybe Vince could have gotten more producers or something and embarked on other blends of pop rap, or maybe the skits and transitions could have told some story over the course of the record, I don't know. But still, having said all that, I really do enjoy FM quite a bit. I think it's a really good project, even if I do perceive it a little bit more as an EP than I do a full-length album from Vince. As I do really like the concept of this project, a lot. It has consistently a lot of great flows, a lot of fantastic beats and choruses, and Vince keeps things up lyrically as well. I mean, he may not be the flashiest lyricist on the block, but a lot of what he says in his songs are profoundly observant and pessimistic, which for me is enough to give him a bit of an edge over any number of rappers out there that might be writing about similar topics, but do so with way less emotion and forethought. I'm feeling a strong seven to a light eight on this thing. Transition into the next review. And here we are for a review of the new Takeoff album, The Last Rocket. Takeoff, if you didn't already know, is one third of the famed Atlanta hip hop trio Migos, who've each been fracturing off from the trio a bit to do their own solo or collaborative projects, whether it be Quavo and Travis Scott, Quavo Solo, Offset and 21 Savage on Without Warning. Easily the best extracurricular Migos project so far. And now it seems to be Takeoff's turn. It's Takeoff shot. Takeoff's up to bat. Takeoff has a solo thing now. So, look, I saw this coming. We knew it was gonna happen eventually. Who, who the hell knows? Even Offset may have a solo record in his pocket dropping super soon. And if that is the case, we will cross that bridge when we get there. But as far as Takeoff going solo, Honestly, this is probably the the least interested I could possibly be in a solo Migos effort. Routinely in Migos songs, I don't really find Takeoff's voice to be 
the most standout. Sure, it's a little smoky. I think he carries a tune a little bit better than some of his counterparts, but still, that is really not enough for me to get excited for hearing another Migos solo effort, especially with the painful mediocrity of Quavo's new album still stuck in my head. Look, ever since Migos dropped Culture 2, it's been painfully obvious that the trio has been focusing more, 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 more on trying to squeeze as much money out of their hype than trying to make an interesting album full of compelling songs that are legitimately catchy, AKA Culture One. Easily one of the most infectious, viral, and to the point contributions to the current pop rap and trap meta. It's almost as if they had no idea what made that album so good. So instead of following with that formula again, they just worked for 25 to 45 minutes at a time for a series of songs on the follow-up album Culture 2 until they hit 90 minutes in length, way too many tracks to even wanna listen to all the way through, and then just threw that out to get as many streams as possible. And to rack up even more streams, what do you do? Drop a bunch of solo projects as well. So given that Migos motivations are so painfully obvious in releasing so much music in a short amount of time. I'm not really going into this new Takeoff album thinking, whoa, he must have like some kind of significant artistic statement he feels like he can only make on the outside of the group. No, because that's, that's not the case. This is yet another just wash, rinse, and repeat album that sounds like much of what the Migos have been doing up until this point, just without the other two members. I will give a few things to this album. It is just about 30 minutes and change. This is not overloaded like a Quavo's record was. This was not overloaded like Culture 2 was. So this album is of a respectable size, and it seems like Takeoff doesn't overdo it on the features. It feels like he focuses a bit more on hooks, even if some of those hooks are... <laughs> pretty bad and are just merely him repeating the words I remember, I remember over and over and over. There are a few tracks on here where it does seem that he focuses on a topic, sometimes a personal one, whether again it be I remember where he kind of goes back down memory lane uh, through some personal paths that brought him to this point. Then there's also None To Me, which is actually a pretty sad moment on the album where Takeoff can be heard singing about a moment in his life where someone close to him betrayed him. In usual Migos fashion, you do get some tight mid-paced flows and some kind of animated ad-libs here and there. The instrumentals though are really nothing all that special. It's just kind of your dime a dozen mainstream trap rattling hi-hats, subterranean bass, those super tight, crisp, snappy snares. I mean, it's all here. The problem is though, that Takeoff does not really have an artistic identity outside of the Migos camp. So it's almost as if there is no point to this album. I could at least give Quavo some props on the fact that, you know, as much of a mess as Huncho was, that record did have some kind of odd instrumentals on it. It did have some vocal guests that I guess you wouldn't expect typically on Amigos record. There were some spots that really seemed like they were coming out of left field and he was really trying to do something different. However, on the last rocket, while this album is not so long that it's annoying. It doesn't really feature any huge risks that go south for takeoff. What this album does become though is almost worse and that's redundant because there's really nothing on this album that you couldn't already get out of Amigos record, but 
again, with less vocal diversity, as you're just hearing one member of the trio, and I, I think it's become pretty clear at this point that without another artist to play off of on a track, no member of Migos is all that compelling. You do get spots on here like Casper where he does seem to get a little bit more personal than Offset or Quavo or maybe willing to on a track. But outside of that, this album doesn't really offer much. I mean, sure, you may enjoy it or maybe you might even love it if this is your favorite genre of music and this is all you want to listen to and you don't really care if there's any kind of variants or anything new or anything surprising or anything exciting. You just want to hear the same triplet flows and trap instrumentals that you have been hearing throughout the mainstream for the past few years now. If that's your prerogative, that's completely fine. I'm not gonna hate on it. But for me, there's really nothing for me to sell you on with this album other than that it's not totally awful. Sure, Takeoff does have like a really goofy line here or there, like that one where he's talking about how he gets high like the man with the afro. It's a really weird way to structure that line. So yeah, he does have some goofy bars every once in a while on this thing, but as far as modern trap records go, you can at least listen to it, I guess. If some of these tracks popped up in a mainstream hip-hop playlist on Spotify, it's not like you'd start <laughs> wincing or turning your head like, what the hell is this? No, I mean, that's really the thing with this record. It blends in with everything else and doesn't do anything to stand out. And given that Takeoff is a part of one of the largest groups in this trend, I guess there's really no incentive for him to change. But from the standpoint of a music fan that wants to hear some exceptional rapping or songwriting or lyricism, no matter what form that takes, whether your song is smart or narrative, or it's funny, or it's charismatic, or it's cutthroat. Whatever you do in your music to make yourself stand out, I'm here to give it a try. But what Takeoff is offering us here is formulaic, pure and simple, and that's it. So even though when this album is on, it's an okay listen, I'm just so utterly bored by it. What makes this a more interesting or refreshing record than Culture or No Label 2? Not really anything. I'm feeling a strong four to a light five, on this thing. Before we get into the next review, I would like to shout out a continued sponsor of The Needle Drop, and that is the good people over at the Ridge Wallet. They make these nifty, fantastic, amazing, metal-plated, minimalist wallets that fit conveniently in your front pocket. They are better. They are superior to the disgusting, old, bulky leather wallet that's taking up too much space in your back pocket right now, maybe even giving you back problems, for God's sake. Hit up RidgeWallet.com slash Fantano and use promo code Fantano to get 10% off your first order. That, again, is RidgeWallet.com slash Fantano. Promo code Fantano. <laughs> and it's time for a review of the new Rosalia album El Mal Carrer. This is the newest full-length album from Spanish flamenco singer Rosalia, who blew my mind totally out of nowhere last year with a gorgeous and dynamic set of folk songs on her album Los Angeles. And in the short span of time since the release of that record, Rosalia has undergone a pretty large and significant artistic evolution because she's gone straight from recording these Spanish and gypsy folk tunes to 
turning the world of flamenco into a pop sensation. Both being decades old, flamenco pop and flamenco nuevo are nothing entirely new, but Rosalia's incredible talent is certainly making it feel like they are, as she stirred international interest in this music in a way that few artists have. With some pretty great singles leading up to the release of this album, namely tracks like Malamente, as well as Pienso and Tumira. Both songs mix Rosalia's incredible old world voice and flamenco hand claps with sensual pop production, synthetic beats and bass, really strong hooks. The third single on this thing, Dimi Nombre, actually features a shot of auto-tune on the refrain, just to add a bit of a vocal variant, I guess. And it actually fits in really well with the song's building synths and background vocals and persistent hand claps. Rarely do these new and old worlds of music come together in a song so well, at least not without dumbing the production down to the point where it's obvious that you're trying to make it appeal to, like, the widest audience possible, the, the same audience of people that would immediately buy a Taylor Swift record. I think we can attribute Rosalia's musical transition on this album, at least in part, to her bringing on fellow Spanish musician and producer El Guincho, who has dropped several solo albums over the past decade or so, dabbling mostly in neo-psychedelia, psychedelic folk, psychedelic pop, and even though that's obviously not Rosalia's wheelhouse, that's not the kind of music she even seems remotely interested in making on this album, he plays a very positive, forward-thinking, and an incredibly supportive role on this record. A lot of the instrumentals on this thing feel as if they're assembled like any other piece of modern pop or even hip-hop. And there are maybe a few spots on this record where that does feel a bit limited, like on the track Keno Salga La Luna, where Rosalia's wild vibrato and just boundaryless voice, her incredible singing on this song, it's just so expressive and it's just so, like, free and just... Ah, it just makes me burn! Like, this is so far from a typical pop vocal and just sort of throwing it on top of a quantized track doesn't really make all that much sense to me. I would have much rather some more organic instrumentation or just a straight guitar like on her last record. Because in my opinion, the subterranean kicks and the nylon guitar loops and samples that are played throughout this track, even when a low-pass filter is thrown on top of them, doesn't really cut it. Even if there are some elements of this track, namely the background vocals, that I think are a really nice touch. Meanwhile, there are moments on this record where the additional instrumentation, the more modern production style feels inventive and even freeing, allowing Rosalia to embark on some new sounds, ideas, and flavors. There are even moments on this thing where there's a Justin Timberlake sample worked in, an Arthur Russell sample worked in. Or on the track De Aquí, No Celes, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, where the track kicks off with all of these siren sounds, revving engine samples, cars just driving or starting. It's like Rosalia is the Charlie XCX of forward-thinking flamenco pop. Eventually the track progresses into this straightforward beat and these chopped and pitched up vocal samples, kind of playing out this fractured melody against some subterranean bass. On the next song, Rosalia throws it back a little bit where she is singing this beautiful traditional flamenco melody over this gorgeous, thick, full-bodied string section. The way she plays against this classical style arrangement is powerful. Not only is it a great song, a great moment on this album, but it also serves as a reminder that there are very few artists out there in the pop field currently that could match Rosalia's range, volume, power, sense of drama. And when you're talking about songs and vocals of this quality, the 
language barrier that most people watching this video are obviously going to hit when they give this thing a listen because I don't speak Spanish. Many of you don't either. Yeah, that language barrier, it's, it's pretty much irrelevant because the production on this thing, <laughs> it's beautiful. The vocals are beautiful. Meanwhile, on the song Baghdad, we have a, a very refreshing and intriguing mix of several things. Sure, those elements of folk and flamenco music do pop up, but also there are some vocal licks at the start of the track that read like something out of a, an alternative R&B tune. Meanwhile, there's a vocal buildup in the last leg that comes off like a church hymnal. The song is truly worthy of having the song Liturgia, Liturgy, at the back end of its title. If you notice, every song on this record does have a, a bit of a title in parentheses after it, sort of mentioning what exactly the emotion or the vibe or the direction a certain song is going in or sort of what part of, I guess, an emotional ongoing story that a track might play uh, in the whole of this album, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of parsing all of these songs out, even if overall stylistically, it does seem like a bit of a jumble, a bit of a mixed bag. However, I do appreciate the versatility and that much of what her and Gincho embark on on this record is done really well. The song Nana is a very stripped-down vocal piece with these subtle pitched background vocals and chorus effects sort of placed into the background, which creates this very beautiful but surreal and alien-ish sound. It's kind of James Blake-esque. The song is pretty moving in its intimacy and its relative nudity. Rosalia kind of goes for a similar effect and sound on the closing track of this thing as well, but the pitched background vocals there that sing along, sing in unison with her lead vocal, are much louder, stranger, more overbearing. It does have a uniquely haunting and nightmarish quality, but I'm not really that crazy about it as a song, or even as the closer. So while I do have some complaints and critiques of this record, and I think overall the consistency and flow could have used a bit more work, it is a little scant at 11 tracks and just 30 minutes. Still, the vast majority of songs on this thing are great. They're fantastic, they're gorgeous, and Rosalia has made a very fast and impressive transition into taking these folk sounds and styles and just making them work really well in a pop context. I guess if you're in the market for some fantastic vocals for an album that is just very bold, versatile Spanish pop with some strong folk roots, give this thing a shot. What do you got to lose? It's a great record. I'm feeling a decent two strong eight on this thing, Tran. Zition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new collaborative project from The Alchemist, Currency, and Freddie Gibbs, Fetty, R Roma. This is a new mini collaborative album from all of the people whose names I just said. Indiana's own Gangsta Gibbs, and quite possibly the most stoned man in New Orleans, Currency. Rapping over a fresh batch of Alchemist beats. Now, despite having featured on a few tracks with Currency already at this point, even one that has production from the Alchemist on it, on the Covert Coup EP, this is not a collabo, this is not a crossover that I really saw coming. And for a few different reasons, the respective styles of each artist here, the relevancy, the versatility, what I see as I guess a relative talent gap. No question, Currency is known for having a pretty cold-blooded flow. It's a little monotone. He's got some pretty slick rhymes too, but consistently over the years I have found a lot of his projects, even some of his best ones, Pilot Talk, Pilot Talk 2, uh, to be a little lacking. It's been almost 10 years of one project after another from Currency, and current day he 
pretty much sounds the same way he did in 2010. Not hearing a whole lot of vocal change or noticeable improvements. Meanwhile, with Freddie Gibbs, if you compare earlier projects like Midwest gangsta box frame Cadillac music to one of his more recent projects, it's almost night and day. Back in the 2000s, Freddie Gibbs very much sounded like a product of the Bling era with a huge Tupac influence. Now, of course, for anybody who's been listening to Freddie Gibbs for a long time, his influences and his roots are still very much there present day, but it sounds like over the years, he's matured and changed quite a bit. If we're talking artistic evolution, there's really no contest here. On top of it, he's far more versatile and animated. Also, how many rap Rappers have a pinata in them. Not many. With no doubt in my mind, I am sure that Spitta and Gibbs could rap on a bunch of tracks together. But my question is, would this album come together into anything other than a nondescript rhyme fest, especially since it's it's been noted that this project was recorded over the course of like two days. However, Freddie and Currency's respective talents do actually create some special moments on Fetty. The best thing I can say about this record is that each party involved, they all complement each other really well. Freddie and Currency both consistently match each other throughout this project with their ruthless and hardened attitudes. Meanwhile, the Alchemist's instrumentals on this thing range from being eerie and surreal, a little nightmarish, to super warm and soulful with a bit of a vintage twist. The opening track, Location Remote, features these disembodied male vocals singing, calling out in this pretty haunting way, really singing out into the abyss. Then there's this trippy bass line that just rings out. It's like something out of the start of a a synth prog odyssey. Currency kicks the song off, sounding a little more ruthless than usual. East Side, Laboratory Coats, testing the dope. I'm in a location remote, Ivory Coast, trying to get as high as I can go. The glass ceiling broke. Kind of shifting narrative from just being this typical everyday stoner to actually being like a drug kingpin. Which lyrically and topically is a bit more Freddy's lane, but if it adds to the cohesion of the album, I'm for it. Because on some tracks here, Currency does come off a bit darker, a bit more criminal than he usually does. Freddy's verse that comes after this is absolutely brutal. I love this spot where he says, we're taping mamas up, we're filling them llamas up, uh, making statements they Manafort, Papadopoulos, that's a pretty great rhyme there. Trump sweating bullets on Diet Coke sniffing powder up, and if he build the wall, we're gonna bring that dope underground with us. This track and many others on here, they are merciless, they are sharp, they are witty. There are no poppy bells and whistles surrounding these tracks either. There's a bit of an instrumental intro, maybe with a vocal snippet or something. There's a verse, an instrumental break, the next verse, and then there's like an outro. It's just bars on bars on bars on bars on bars on bars. The highlights on this thing continue with the cocaine-inspired The Blow. Freddie drops quite a few standout lines on this one, most notably, about to take a trip Got coke and dope on my grocery list, oxycodone pack. I'd be switching rackets like jo do like Djokovic, which is easily one of the best tennis references in hip hop song in 2018. Currency shines on the track New Thangs, where he says bars like, pulled up in a what's this, came back in a what's that. I'm in a suite, in a Weston, in a notebook sketching. New designs for the season, fashion week, we gonna sneak them. Also, Freddie Gibbs mirrors that bar with his own reference to the, the Weston in his verse. So it, it is nice to hear that him and Currency on a lot of these tracks, pretty much on all these tracks, uh, they're on the same page. Meanwhile, the track Saturday Night Special sounds trippy, surreal, and again, nightmarish. I'll use that word again. And you know, I'm sorry to Freddie, I'm sorry to Currency on this track, but it's really the alchemy 
Alchemist production that truly steals the show on this cut. The drony, ethereal, and hypnotic instrumental on this thing is gorgeous. So given the brevity of this project and I guess its creative process, of course there was going to be a point at which it faltered. There is the song Now and Later Gators, which is the first solo cut on the album. Freddie Gibbs just kind of embarks uh, on a lone mission here to sing very badly over some vintage R&B bass, glamorous pianos, and vocal samples. It sounds like something that would have been like a leftover joke from his last Freddy project, but instead he's just sort of thrown it on here. If he was gonna have a solo track on this thing, I would have much preferred Willie Lloyd, even though that track doesn't really have all that much structure to it. The eerie guitar arpeggios and the relentless flows on that song are actually pretty exciting. There are a few moments on the track where Freddie drops some of his best bars here, and on top of it, his voice just sounds like it is about to crack. Very rarely does Freddie sound like uh, he's he's kind of on the edge of uh, just like vocally losing it, and this is one of the rare moments where that's the case. Meanwhile, Currency goes solo on the song No Window Tints, and it is easily the most lackluster and forgettable song on the entire record. It's not even two minutes long. His verse is spotty at best, and it really just sounds like a bad interlude or leftover. After this very spotty set of solo outings, the album kind of regains its footing in what little time it has left. I mean, both tracks feature good flows, some standout lyrics here and there, good instrumentals, especially to Patio, but neither of these tracks really ascend past the very casual and raw vibe that some of the best songs so far have delivered. Though there is a pretty loving Mac Miller shout out on the closing track here that's pretty nice. If gritty, druggy raps with great flows and classy instrumentals with lots of samples interest you, then give it a shot. Personally, that's very much my thing, but I still kind of attribute the success of this project in part to how short it is. I think Currency and Freddie don't really give themselves an opportunity to overstay their welcome or put themselves in a position where they have to change it up or do anything different or challenge themselves as a collaborative to really go above and beyond. Because again, this thing was recorded in a couple days and in a way it sort of sounds like it. And it's only a tribute to how solid Freddie and Currency are as rappers and lyricists that this thing is as good as it is despite its short recording time. Because all in all, this thing is pretty good. It's an interesting crossover, and I would say to a degree, uh, Freddie and Currency do bring a little bit of the best out of each other. Though I would still hope that both artists still show more potential going forward. I'm feeling a strong six to a light seven. On this thing, hey buddy, did you hear the news? It's track review. And it is time for a track review of the brand new song, Nowhere to Go, from Earl Sweatshirt. Earl, California rapper, I believe he's still based out of California, formerly of Odd Future fame, though he always stood out from the group because of his backstory, his personality, his talent level. It's been several years since the release of his last full-length album, I Don't Like Shit, I Don't Go Outside. That came out in 2015, if you remember, a very short, dark, depressing, and grim little album. He has a new record on the way, I am pretty sure, because he's dropping a new single over here. Seems like there's a small promotional rollout for this thing and a lot of buzz around him putting out some new music. It is getting toward the end of the year, so, you know, cr crunch time. Crunch time. List week is coming. End of the year is coming. So if any artist is going to be trying to make some kind of musical impact on 2018, uh, you, you better be thinking about doing it now. 
So let's see where this new single goes. Earl has been like dropping little snippets of it on Instagram and everything. So, you know, I guess we'll uh, get a taste of the full track now. One minute and 53 seconds of what I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Nowhere to go. Earl Sweatshirt, new single. Let's give it a try. Wow. There's, okay, I, I don't want to have a weird reaction here because uh, I don't want you guys to <laughs> kind of take the fact that I'm not like exploding at this track as necessarily a bad thing because there's just a lot to take in here and it's really overwhelming, but in, a, in some ways it's not. I, I think I will start with the most ear grabbing thing about this track and that's the production. Production on this thing is stunning. The beat is insane. If you look at this track in terms of, hey, is it catchy? Does it have a strong hook? Does it uh, have a lot of structure to it? You're not going to get much out of this track because it doesn't really offer many of those things. But still, it does, in a very roundabout and abstract way, end up creating a very satisfying and... Uh, intriguing and stimulating little musical experience. But again, the production, everything on this beat, really everything in the track itself, but I think the beat is, is almost the crux of it is just so loose and blobby. These sporadic little, uh, little, little snares are kind of like wooden little percussive sounds that have a lot of treble on them. They just kind of lead the, the higher end of the beat, those subterranean droney bits of bass, the ringing stretched out male vocal samples played throughout the song as well, which seem very meditative, almost like they're a, a chant or a part of a ritual or something. It's all very just deep within the psyche. It's all just very relaxing. It's all surreal. It's a little psychedelic as well. Earl, the role that he plays on the song, it's it's like he's a little underwhelming. At least that's how I felt at first. But then when I started to listen more to his lyrics, it was like, okay, so he's kind of rapping about being lost. It's almost like he's directionless or something. He's rudderless or he's finding himself. He's getting some kind of grip of himself artistically or personally on this song. And in a way that rings that that rings true in the way the sounds and the song are presented because it's not like he's buried in the beat like his voice is mixed too low or whatever. It's like the way that his flow works out, the way that he vocally pops in and out of certain sounds within the instrumental. It's like you're getting little tiny just a couple of frames, a couple of snapshots here and there of him and his thoughts occasionally. And then the, the beat kind of washes over him and then the wave come back, comes back down. And, and then you hear him sort of throw another line out there and the wave comes back up and it comes back down. And you get another shot of him. And it's like he's slowly being swallowed away or he's trying to dig his way out of this sound, out of this rut, out of this instrumental, out of this feeling of being lost. Um, and in, in, in an emotional sense, in a conceptual sense, and in an instrumental sense, I feel like this track is, is kind of incredible. I feel like there are a lot of great things going on here. Now, it is a little on the short side. I do wish there was more meat to it, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume here that this track is probably going to be shoulder to shoulder with a number of other similarly abstract and short tracks on a new record, and they will most likely reinforce each other for the length of the entire album, which will be nice. Uh, but if there's another thing that I definitely want to say and get off my chest with this track before I head out of the review, it's that this is a, a pretty severe 
tone change for Earl. I mean, not that there aren't elements of sadness and introspection to this song like there have been on a lot of his tracks in the past, but that that youthful anger and bitterness and aggression that has just been drowning a lot of his material up until this point seems uh, kind of missing. You know, it's not here. And I don't know if you're the type of fan, if you're the type of Earl fan who who necessarily would be um I guess disappointed by seeing that disappear or upset by seeing that disappear. I personally am not not that I think his music is necessarily uh, better or worse without it, but it's interesting to see him take a change of pace. It's almost like he's a uh some monk uh on this track and he's found at least a little bit of inner peace on this song in in a really weird way. I guess is the the best way that I can go about describing it. Also, I just feel like the the vibe of the instrumental and the track itself, it has a strong like brain feeder records vibe, but there is something about the sound of it and the way that it is so psychedelic and so odd. And um, again, I'll say the word if I haven't said already, blobby. It it just seems so formless in a way. Uh, Just how abstract and fractured a lot of the sounds are. It's almost like it's taking that to the next level. It's the next step. It's the next uh, uh, iteration of the evolution, of the ongoing evolution of sort of that West Coast wonky, surreal, psychedelic, hip-hop instrumental sound. Uh, There are actually elements, I would say, of this production that remind me a little bit of Shabazz Palace's too. Uh, maybe a little bit of Milo as well. Maybe some early Milo fans will get into the production on this thing. Um, there are a lot of great things about this track. And uh, even though it's not one of Earl's lyrically darkest, uh, densest tracks that he's dropped so far, but I do feel like there is a lot of emotional potency to this cut. And I do see Before the Before we get into the next in, review, the I would like to shout out a continued sponsor. And I think drop, it goes that is over the good well over at the Willing to wallet. They make these kind of oversee just how amazing metal play the track minimalist is to read into what he's saying in your front pocket the sounds they are, are better they trying are superior to say in terms of i guess just disgusting a, auditory story leather wallet so, that's taking up too much space i'm gonna leave it at that i think the track generally right now, is maybe even giving you good back though problems, just by itself i don't really think it hit up ridgewallet.com to slash fantano use promo code fantano to see what get 10 percent off your first order this new record is going to sound like without a doubt i'm fantano i'm intrigued promo code nowhere to go earl New single. Before we get into the next review, are you a record collector, a vinyl collector? Would you like to become one? Get a turntable, get some speakers that are good quality at a nice, convenient online store where you can actually give us a little kickback, support the podcast, support the needle drop just by shopping on the site. TurntableLab.com slash the needle drop. TurntableLab.com slash the needle drop. Grab a colorful pressing of a record we've reviewed on the channel. Get your first turntable. Make sure it's a nice one. Get some good quality speakers as well. Other audiophile gear too. Again, turntablelab.com slash the needle drop. We get kickback from it. Supports the podcast. Supports the YouTube channels. Let's get into the next review. And thank you. And it is time for a track review of the latest song, posthumously released track from Tentacion. The rapper, singer, and songwriter who passed away uh, this summer. And uh, there have been sort of rumors of a new record coming out at some point this or next year. And uh, it seems this next to my head would be 
It Skins is going to be the forthcoming album. Uh, of course, you cannot see the rest of the tracks on this record yet, but as of right now, we do have this one track titled Bad. The album itself, if everything remains as is before the release of the record, looks like it's just going to be 10 songs, 18 minutes, which is obviously a scaling back from his last full-length LP, but uh, is about on par as far as like length and uh, amount of material as his 17 record. Uh, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully what we're going to be embarking on here with this new track and this new album is, is going to be different than that, which I have no doubt it will be given uh, the material off of his last record anyway. So, all right, so Tentacion, bad. Let's uh, see where it goes. New track. <laughs> All right, bad. XXXTentacion. A couple things to note on that track, especially on the instrumental side of things. I did like the really woozy kind of eerie synthesizer loops that played throughout the cut. Also, I thought uh, kind of foregoing the snare and instead uh, allowing the trebly side of the beat to be overtaken by this really odd sounding, was it a hi-hat? It wasn't even playing like a triplet pattern. It was more of like a, a spurt. It was like a... It was like this spray, this uh, routine spray of, of hi-hats that would play throughout the track. It is kind of a unique approach to uh, sort of throwing together some hip-hop production, I guess. Um, so I, I did like the instrumental, and I liked the emotion coming through in X's very boyish, nasally voice. There are some tracks where he does come across a, a very masculine or guttural vocally speaking, but this is one of those moments, a lot like Sad, for example, uh, where he's singing in the upper register in a very emotional, very kind of pained way. Uh, and, and vocally, I think X had been progressing as evidenced by some of the material on his last album, but I found his articulation of the words all over this track to be really sloppy and maybe a, a tad bit infuriating, like he's really just kind of slurring his words so much to the point where you can't really tell a lot of what he's saying without actually going and looking at a transcription of the lyrics. And that's, that's not typically what he's known for anyway. I mean, mumble rap is certainly a thing in 2018, but uh, it wasn't necessarily something that I think X played to in his songs and in his music. But really, I think the the thing that bugged me the most about this track is really just how short and thrown together it feels. I mean, sure, there were cuts off of his last record that uh, felt that way to a degree, but I at least got the sense that they had reached some sort of sense of completion for him, I guess, uh, with the emo folk direction that he was taking a lot of those tracks in. Uh, this track, however, just kind of seems like a chorus, a couple of lines maybe sort of resembling kind of a verse, then the chorus plays through one more time and it's over. I get and I understand that tracks like Take Hayes the Race, for example, have completely redefined the the length that a new hip hop single needs to be. You know, it can certainly be short and to the point and uh, be really brief and uh, excite the audience by merely giving them just the the vibe or the idea of something. But to me, this track just felt really cobbled together, and I worry, given the rest of the track lengths throughout this record, that. Uh, this album is going to kind of feel like a posthumous release that was just thrown together because it was 
convenient and it made sense and you want to get a project out there just to uh, capitalize on the fact that people are paying attention to XXXTentacion right now, which is a kind of a shame, honestly, uh, because it would have been, I guess, preferable to, if he was going to continue releasing music, to see him progress past what he was doing on his last record, uh, where even if I didn't really love that album throughout, it seemed like he was trying some new things, writing some tracks with some more structure, uh, taking some risks, and hey, maybe that'll be the case on some of the deeper cuts on this record. Um, but outside of the the vibe that is just kind of struck up on this track between the simple instrumental and the emotion in X's voice and the melody in his vocal lines on this track, I'm not really seeing a whole lot to it. It doesn't really feel like a completely conceived song. Record labels are essentially selling you and encouraging you to click for their profit margins onto snippets at this point. It's really just a snippet. And hey, look, at the end of the day, if you wanted to put out some kind of Tentacion posthumous B-sides, here's the extras, here are the tracks that never would have seen the light of day, here's what he was working on, like, that makes sense. You know, I think the fans would certainly get a lot out of that intimacy with uh, what material he might have had left. But to package up stuff like this as if it's like a professional grade single, and like how I presume some of the material on this thing is going to be presented as a professional grade album. Personally, it just makes me a little skeptical, I guess. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. This thing is pretty skeletal. It's pretty bare bones and there's not a lot to it. And maybe if X were still here, we could have a conversation about whether or not he is putting as much effort into his tracks as he should have been, but he's, he's not here to release his own music. So that conversation can't be had. I can't go out on a limb and say, hey, this is exactly what he intended the track to be. So unfortunately, pretty underwhelmed by this cut. All right, you've, you've seen the title already. You see the headline. Kanye West wants to win a Grammy for Best Rock Song. It seems like we're returning a little bit to, to more normal Kanye headlines. Now that he has kind of excommunicated himself from politics, so hopefully we we reach a, a, an equilibrium of Kanye normality as as normal as Kanye headlines can get anyway. And it seems like again this is a return to that Kanye West. He has submitted a song of his for consideration in the best rock song category uh, in this upcoming Grammy Awards. Grammy season is just around the corner, so we're going to start seeing some Grammy related news. And uh, what song is it? What is the song? Well, you guys remember his collaborative record that he just dropped er earlier this year with Kid Cudi, Kid See Ghosts. A fantastic album, in my opinion. Gave it a glowing review, a 10 out of 10. Amazing collaboration. And uh, there are some songs on that record that you could, in my opinion, legitimately call rock songs. The one that uh, Kanye submitted for consideration is uh, Ghost Town Part 2, uh, Free. I'm free. Now, of course, there's a little bit of controversy over this among maybe some old heads, some rock fans saying like, how can number one, the song isn't even good, which like, let's, that's not even an argument. It's it's actually like a really good song. <laughs> uh, I mean, the instrumental is great. Ty Dolla Sign's vocals are fire. Those harmonies on the song are awesome. 
Uh, just love that sampled riff and the drum groove on the song. I mean, a great deal of the track is sampled from somewhere else, but we can get into that as we get deeper into the video. So uh, another thing that people are taking issue with on this track is not just that it's Kanye West and people don't like Kanye and so on and so forth, but people are sort of literally questioning the legitimacy of this song as a rock song, which in my opinion is preposterous. This is a rock song. It is a rock song. Sure, you could say Kanye West is a rapper and the instrumental doesn't feature live guitars, but sampled guitars from somewhere else and blah, 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 blah. I, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't really think it matters how it was assembled or who made it. You know, to me, that's just like a really weak contextual argument, which doesn't really have anything to do with how the song actually sounds and functions. If you listen to the track, it has legitimate rock riffs laced into the instrumental. If you listen to the track, it has a rock drum beat. And if you listen to the vocals, I mean, there's sung vocals all over the track. I would actually argue that some of Ty Dolla Sign's uh, vocal delivery on uh, the song has kind of a rock edge to it. So in my opinion, uh, it's, it's really kind of a matter of if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a friggin' duck. You know, you, you can't really get bogged down in sort of uh, whether or not uh, the guitars were sampled or they're live or so on and so forth. Because honestly, like every rock band is recording their new album. Pretty much every rock band is recording their new album, their new single, their new material with the same kinds of programs and editing software and digital tricks and studio uh, wizardry that hip hop and electronic music artists are these days. So you know, it's it's just kind of a matter of what sort of sound you want to make and and how you go about making it is just using the software and using the technology uh, to your advantage. And really, that's it. If Kanye West wants to make a rock song by playing guitar himself, by hiring a guitarist and a drummer, or by sampling drums and guitar from somewhere else, what does it matter? I mean, sure, you could say like, Oh, well, that's not the tradition of rock music because the way rock artists used to write and record their music back in the 1950s and 60s was way different, so on and so forth. Well, I mean, the way rock artists uh, recorded and created their albums in the 2000s was much different than how rock artists recorded and created their albums in the 1950s and 60s. And you wouldn't say that. And I feel like that can be argued for this new song from Kanye over here as well. Clearly, he's working with rock instrumentation. The song is clearly influenced by rock music. And you wouldn't call it a hip hop song. It don't sound like a hip hop song. It ain't a hip hop song. It's not a rap song. It's a rock song. So in my opinion, not only does Kanye deserve to be placed into this best rock song category because it sounds like a rock song, I legitimately think it's one of the best rock songs of the year. I think it's a really good rock song. I mean, I certainly enjoy it more than some of the other rock records I've uh, reviewed and listened to this year, for sure. So yeah, I, I see no issue with this. I see no problem with this. And for, 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 for music fans to be kind of arguing against this, to me, in my opinion, it's just semantics. Because 
you know, for for me, really, it's it's not about how we make rock music or uh, or, or sticking to necessarily one hundred percent the tradition of rock music, because how we make any kind of music, no matter what, is going to evolve over time. You know, so to get bogged down in the process and get bogged down in who is doing it is is useless, number one. And number two, I, I think stands in the way of moving forward, doing and trying new things, and and keeping these sounds alive. Because if rock bands and rock musicians dig their heels in the dirt and refuse to ever sort of accept a rock song from an artist who isn't typically a rock artist, or accept a rock song that is crafted and created in a way that's different than other rock songs, then you're you're pretty much guaranteeing the genre is going to die. So Kanye West, best rock song, I think it's worthy of the category. And depending on what other tracks get thrown into the mix, uh, I'm probably going to root for it. All right, that is going to be it for this latest episode of the Needle Drop podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Anthony Fantano of The Needle Drop. Make sure to hit up our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash The Needle Drop, youtube.com slash Fantano to keep up to date with all the content we are dropping week to week. Also, TheNeedleDrop.com, twitter.com slash The Needle Drop, and Instagram, AFantano, to hit us up on social media. Also, shout out to Jonah, who assembles this podcast week to week to week. You guys are the best. Appreciate you listening. Make sure that if you're listening on iTunes or whatever platform you are hearing this on. If you can subscribe or leave a review, leave some thoughts, leave some opinions, we would greatly appreciate it and uh, have a good one. Hear you guys or you will hear, hear me in the next episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Forever. Forever.